Section 25 of Manners, Customs, and Dress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lenny. Manners, Customs, and Dress During the Middle Ages and During the Renaissance Period by Paul Lacroix. Section 25. Secret Tribunals. During the Middle Ages, human life was generally held in small respect. Various judicial institutions, if not altogether secret, at least more or less enveloped in mystery, were remarkable for being founded on the monstrous right of issuing the most severe sentences with closed doors, and of executing these sentences with inflexible rigor on individuals who had not been allowed the slightest chance of defending themselves. While passing judgment in secret, they often openly dealt blows as unexpected and terrible as they were fatal. Therefore, the most innocent and the most daring trembled at the very name of the free judges of the Terre Rouge, an institution which adopted Westphalia as the special, or rather as the central, region of its authority. The Council of Ten exercised their power in Venice, and the states of the republic and the assassins of syria in the time of st louis made more than one invasion into christian europe we must nevertheless acknowledge that terrible as these mysterious institutions were the general credulity the gross ignorance of the masses and the love of the marvellous helped not a little to render them even more outrageous and alarming than they really were Marco Polo, the celebrated Venetian traveller of the thirteenth century, says, We will speak of the old man of the mountain. This prince was named Olaudin. He had a lovely garden, full of all manner of trees and fruits, in a beautiful valley, surrounded by high hills. And all round these plantations were various palaces and pavilions, decorated with works of art in gold with paintings and with furniture of silk. Therein were to be seen rivulets of wine, as well as milk, honey, and gentle streams of limpid water. He had placed therein damsels of transcendent beauty, and endowed with great charms, who were taught to sing and to play all manner of instruments. They were dressed in silk and gold, and continually walked in these gardens and palaces. The reasons for which the old man had these palaces built were the following. Mohammed, having said that those who should obey his will should go to paradise, and there find all kinds of luxuries, this prince wished it to be believed that he was the prophet and companion of Mohammed, and that he had the power of sending whom he chose to paradise. No one could succeed in entering the garden, because an impregnable castle had been built at the entrance of the valley, and it could only be approached by a covered and secret way. The old man had in his court some young men, from ten to twenty years of age, chosen from those inhabitants of the hills who seemed to him capable of bearing arms, and who were bold and courageous. From time to time he administered a certain drink to ten or twelve of these young men, which sent them to sleep and when they were in deep stupor, he had them carried into the garden. When they awoke, they saw all we have described, 
they were surrounded by the young damsels who sang, played instruments together, caressed them, played all sorts of games, and presented them with the most exquisite wines and meats, so that these young men, satiated with such pleasures, did not doubt that they were in paradise, and would willingly have never gone out of it again. At the end of four or five days, the old man sent them to sleep again, and had them removed from the garden in the same way in which they had been brought in. He then called them before him, and asked them where they had been. "'By your grace, Lord,' they answered, "'we have been in paradise.' And then they related, in the presence of everybody, what they had seen there. This tale excited the astonishment of all those who heard it, and the desire that they might be equally fortunate. The old man would then formally announce to those who were present as follows. Thus saith the law of our prophet, he causes all who fight for their Lord to enter into paradise. If you obey me, you shall enjoy that happiness. By such words and plans, this prince had so accustomed them to believe in him, that he whom he ordered to die for his service considered himself lucky. All the nobles or other enemies of the old man of the mountain were put to death by the assassins in his service, for none of them feared death, provided he complied with the orders and wishes of his lord. However powerful a man might be, therefore, if he was an enemy of the old man's, he was sure to meet with an untimely end. In his story, which we translate literally from the original, written in ancient French, the venerable traveller attributes the origin of this singular system of exercising power over the minds of persons to a prince who in reality did but keep up a tradition of his family. For the Alaudin, herein mentioned, is no other than a successor of the famous Hassan, son of Ali, who, in the middle of the eleventh century, took advantage of the wars which devastated Asia to create himself a kingdom comprising the three provinces of Turkestan, Jebel, and Syria. Hassan had embraced the doctrine of the Ishmaelian sect, who pretended to explain allegorically all the precepts of the Mahometan religion, and who did away with public worship, and originated a creed which was altogether philosophical. He made himself the chief exponent of this doctrine, which, by its very simplicity, was sure to attract to him many people of simple and sincere minds. Attacked by the troops of the Sultan Sengar, he defended himself vigorously and not unsuccessfully, but fearing lest he should fall in an unequal and protracted struggle against an adversary more powerful than himself, he had recourse to cunning so as to obtain peace. He entranced, or fascinated probably, by means analogous to those related by Marco Polo, a slave who had the daring, during Singer's sleep, to stick a sharp dagger in the ground by the side of the sultan's head. On waking, Singar was much alarmed. A few days after, Hassan wrote to him, if one had not good intentions towards the sultan, one might have driven the dagger, which was stuck in the earth by his head, into his bosom. The Sultan Singar then made peace with the chief of the Ishmaelians, whose dynasty lasted for one hundred and seventy years.
The castle of Alamond, built on the confines of Persia, on the top of a high mountain surrounded with trees, after having been the usual residence of Hassan, became that of his successors. As in the native language the same word means both prince and old man, the crusaders, who had heard the word pronounced, confounded the two, and gave the name of old man of the mountain to the Ishmaelian prince, at that time inhabiting the castle of Alamon, a name which has remained famous in history since the period when the sire de Joinville published his memoirs. Ancient authors call the subject of Hassan Hashishini, Heisissini, Assissini, Assassini, various forms of the same expression, which, in fact, has passed into French with a signification which recalls the sanguinary exploits of the Ishmaelians. In seeking for the etymology of this name, one must suppose that Hashishini is the Latin transformation of the Arabic word Hashishi, the name of the sect of which we are speaking, because the ecstasies during which they believed themselves removed to paradise were produced by means of hashish or hashisha. We know that this inebriating preparation, extracted from ham, really produces the most strange and delicious hallucinations on those who use it. All travelers who have visited the East agree in saying that its effects are very superior to those of opium. We evidently must attribute to some ecstatic vision the supposed existence of the enchanted gardens which Marco Polo described from popular tales, and which of course never existed but in the imagination of the young man, who were either mentally excited after fasting and praying, or intoxicated by the hashisha, and consequently for a time lulled in dreams of celestial bliss, which they imagined awaited them under the guidance of Hassan and his descendants. The Hashishini, whom certain contemporary historians describe to us as infatuated by the hope of some future boundless felicity, owe their melancholy celebrity solely to the blind obedience with which they executed the orders of their chiefs, and to the coolness with which they sought the favorable moment for fulfilling their sanguinary missions. The old man of the mountain, the master of daggers, Magister Cultelorum, as he is also called by the chronicler Jacques de Vintry, was almost continually at war with the Mussulman princes, who reigned from the banks of the Nile to the borders of the Caspian Sea. He continually opposed them with the steel of his fanatical emissaries. At times also, making a traffic and merchandise of murder, he treated for a money payment with the sultans or emirs, who were desirous of ridding themselves of an enemy. The Ishmaelians thus put to death a number of princes and Mahometan nobles, but at the time of the Crusades, religious zeal having incited them against the Christians, they found more than one notable victim in the ranks of the Crusaders. Conrad, Marquis of Montferrat, was assassinated by them. The great Salah-Eddin, Saladin, himself narrowly escaped them. Richard Coeur de Lyon and Philippe Augustus were pointed out to the assassins by the old man, who, subsequently, on hearing of the immense preparations which Louis the Ninth was making for the Holy War, had the daring to send two of his followers to France, and even into Paris, with orders to kill that monarch in the midst of his court. This king, after having again escaped during his sojourn in Palestine, 
from the murderous attempts of the savage messengers of the prince of Alamon, succeeded, by his courage, his firmness, and his virtues, in inspiring these fanatics with so much respect, that their chief, looking upon him as protected by heaven, asked for his friendship, and offered him presents, amongst which was a magnificent set of chessmen in crystal, ornamented with gold and amber. The successors of Hassan, simultaneously attacked by the Mughals under Hulayon, and by the Egyptians commanded by the Sultan Bibars, were conquered and dispossessed of their estates towards the middle of the thirteenth century. But long after, the Ishmaelians, either because their chiefs sought to recover their power, or because they had placed their daggers at the disposal of some foreign foe, continued notorious in history. At last the sect became extinct, or at least retired into obscurity and renounced its murderous profession, which had for so long made its members such objects of terror. End of section 25